Gruber, and welcome back to Liberate America. Thank you for bearing with us for the past two weeks and our, our delay between Federalist Paper Number 6 and Federalist Paper Number 7. I unfortunately got COVID. It was uh, very sweaty, if I had to describe it in one way, or uh, one word. I won't say sweaty. Uh, it's still kind of, uh, for the last few days, just kind of draining, draining the energy and sweat out of my body. But gave me a, a chance to, to read a lot and, and to work on some things. So you find your, your silver linings where you can, even in a uh, sweat-drenched bed. So to, to jump into this, uh, number seven has a, a ton to do with kind of keeping, uh, keeping with what we were talking about last time about infighting between uh, states. And we ask ourselves, to look at the quote from Hamilton where he says, territorial disputes have at all times been found one of the most fertile sources of hostility among nations. So in previous ones, we've talked about the United Kingdom and Greece and even other places uh, to get our examples, our real world examples. Uh, in this one, we actually have some great examples of just things that have happened in America that would give credence to what Hamilton was, uh, was saying here. So part of that is the story of the Grants. Now, the Grants, if you could imagine uh, a New Hampshire that was double the size than the New Hampshire that we currently know of. And this western side was considered the Grants for many years because France had control of Canada and England had control over, uh, over the colonies, there was not much going on there because it wasn't that safe to be in the Grants. So after the French-Indian War, when England takes over from France uh, in those areas, it becomes a lot more safe and the population jumps up and uh, British people start settling there more and more. Uh, this gives uh, New York uh, an idea that they want to have control over this area. I'm going to start this New York empire. As a New Yorker, I can understand the attitude. I can understand the mentality. Like We should have like at least a quarter of the country. We should just keep expanding. But this would give them access to the Connecticut River. It would give them access to Lake Champlain. It would really, um, really help out. But the people who lived there already... I weren't exactly happy. King George eventually steps in and gives the access to New York. All the New Yorkers move in. They're eating pizza. <laughs> they're talking like this. They're, they're, I'm, I'm from Long Island originally, but uh, yeah, so uh, obviously no, nobody likes all these New Yorkers. I'm not sure if they had the accent or the pizza at this point. Uh, but for illustrative purposes, we'll, we'll go with that. So um, every, everybody's getting mad. That, that's when you end up with the great Ethan Allen, who, who emerges out of this area uh, from Bennington. They uh, create this capital. I think Bennington was the name of uh, like the mayor of New Hampshire or something um, at that time. And so they, they take over ton of the land. Now, this is still while England is in technical control. So they take over a bunch of the land from New York, and they're pretty much living uh, semi-autonomously in this region at this point. 
uh, independent war starts and this like little republic uh, which didn't have a name yet joins up uh, Ethan Allen his Green Mountain boys and they join the revolution Ethan Allen actually gets captured in 77 uh, but they end up declaring independence from England in, in this little area, as well as their other colonies. Uh, and they start the Republic of New Connecticut. A few months later, they end up changing that to Vermont. The rest is history. Now, Allen does come back in 78 after being captured. A uh, pretty, pretty quick sentence there for... For everything but the vermont republic actually is very interesting because they're pretty progressive to at the time they're letting any male uh, adult vote and they've outlawed slavery uh for for the most part so it's very interesting to um to think so they they end up siding obviously with the other colonies during the war and they figure let's just deal with whether or not we're going to join or not join later on uh, when the war eventually does come to completion after even kind of teasing that they're going to go back uh, to canada or back to join england they eventually do become a state and they become the first non-13 colony state to become a state. So that, that's a pretty big deal. So that's, that's your story of the Vermont Republic. So in this whole period where Ethan Allen is fighting against these New Yorkers, and there's actually another guy who tries to build a state between the two, and this just illustrates what happens when there is no kind of overall control. Anybody with money can just build up a militia and just get going. Just, you know, like as a feudal lord. And that's what a, a king was. You, you had enough money and you expand and you get people to defend you and fight for you. And then you get more and more land. And before you know it, you have a kingdom and you're a king. So... It, it's not naturally hospitable, this kind of environment, to having a long-standing republic. Uh, if anything, it would just constantly be morphing and constantly be having uh, all these wars. Now, as a, a quick aside, there's 13% of Vermont still wants to be their own republic. They're consistently called racists uh, by the Southern Poverty Law Center, I think the Southern Poverty Law Center, probably, you know, the most disgusting creatures on, on the planet and just write hack pieces uh, that are often politically motivated. So that do doesn't mean much to me. And anybody who talks about secession, even if you, uh, I swear, if a, if a no, I wouldn't have, but <laughs> any, anything, anything when you talk about secession goes back, you know, it's word association with propaganda. People hear secession they think civil war they think slavery so if you want to secede you're a racist just just based on ignorance and word association so that that's a major uh, a major play there but you know you gotta I'll, I'll include the picture of their flag and stuff it's, it's very interesting so and to go back to hamilton uh, a bit he goes it is well known that um, that they have thereafter had serious and animated discussions concerning the rights, the land, and the rights to the lands which were ungranted at the time of the revolution, and 
which usually went under the name of crown lands. And so he's saying that there's so much land that wasn't carved out. It's not, it's not known. So is this situation that we just saw with Vermont going to happen every single time there's some kind of expansion? So that brings us to what would have happened in that situation during the Articles of Confederation, which weren't considered enough. And he goes, uh, the discussion, the circumstance of the dispute between Connecticut and Pennsylvania respecting the land of Wyoming admonish us not to be sanguine in expecting an easy accommodation of such differences. The Articles of Confederation obliged the parties to submit the matter to decision of a federal court. The submission was made and the court decided in the favor of Pennsylvania. This was the Yankee-Penamite War um, over this land. And now they're, they're talking about it uh, being solved. It, it actually hadn't been solved at this point in history yet. Uh, at the time of Hamilton writing this, there would eventually be more, more disputes over it. So you can see that just making the ruling, even when it was King George, even when it was under the Articles, what wasn't enough, that there has to be some kind of stronger union going on. And Hamilton continues, a dismemberment of the Confederacy, however, would revive the dis dispute and would create others on the same subject. At present, a large part of the vacant Western Tory is, by session at least, if not an interior right, the common property of the Union. So would you, if we get back to a Confederacy, are we breaking up all of these states? Or are we going to get it for some cost and, and even trade it to all the different areas. It ends up being a very tricky situation unless you have a union and you could have some kind of situation where they're all benefiting uh, from these acquisitions at the same time. When we talked about Vermont, a lot of states not named New York like the idea uh, of it being an independent uh, state. New York was getting huge, and you can imagine in foreign trade, a huge country with a lot of people and a lot of money are going to have an unfair advantage when dealing with a little poor nation in terms of trade. But when you are dealing with this kind of loose confederacy, you end up with the same, the same fear that you're going to have a state that's just so big, which is this New York that's trying, this expansionist New York, you'd be better off with a lot of smaller states that are working together rather than these giant ones that are able to have such incredible negotiation uh, abilities, negotiation strength. Then Hamilton goes into how do we pay back debt? Because we've talked about this before, there's a ton of debt. And he goes on to say that a lot of the people in these little states don't really care about the idea of a national debt they're pretty much fine here. So there was going to be, unless forced, unless forced by this federal government, people are going to eventually be trying to fight back. These other countries, these other uh, powers are going to eventually get their money back or, or try. So this attitude of, I don't care about the national debt, we're just individual states, we're gonna focus on ourselves, that's going to leave uh, a lot of a lot of issues on the table, and eventually those are going to get resolved, and and perhaps a, a very negative way. And then Hamilton ends with the summary of the last few papers. He goes from the view 
they have exhibited of the part of the subject. The conclusion is to be drawn that America, if not connected at all, or only by the feeble tie of simple league, offensive and defensive, by the operation of such jarring alliances, be gradually entangled in all the pernicious labyrinths of European politics and wars, and by the destructive contentions of the parts into which she has been divided, would be likely to become a prey to the artifice and machinations <laughs> of powers equally the enemies of them all. Divide et impera must be the motto of every nation that either hates or fears us. And, and that just means uh, divide and conquer uh, in Latin, uh, of course. Uh, and I think that there's some, uh, some good arguments there uh, for, for doing just that. And, and we see that kind of influence come in the next 20, 30 years after this point um, uh, over and over again. So that's a little bit of an abridged Federalist 7 um still still not a hundred percent but i think i'm i'm getting there pretty soon so thank you very much for listening and we will see you at number seven take care